0: Hello. Okay. Looks like I've got one thumbs up from no one. <laughs> um, <clears throat> um, I've got a little fan going which I probably should stop. There. Just because it is very hot here. Uh, let me know if the audio is okay. Last time we seemed to have a bit of a issue with it. Hopefully that's solved now and uh, <clears throat> yeah another impromptu one but I've been uh, I think I told you guys I was uh, I've been reading this uh, you know in, in like one page at the time before I crash in bed um, this book by a a Belgian guy who was actually an MP, he was a minister in in Belgium at the age of 29, and then he joined the Waffen-SS as a way to gain sort of honor for Belgium and and have an independent Belgium if and when uh, Germany won the war. And although I'm still at the beginning of the book, it is very clear, very obvious, that, you know, the history that we are all being spoon fed uh, at school about Germany and World War Two and World War One and so on, is, um, you know, is the usual fake narrative. To some extent, you know, to what extent, I'm still trying to figure out. But the point of this live stream really is the level to which we've been lied to is quite astonishing. And I think, you know, the last couple of years um, have been instrumental in uh, showing a lot of us just how duplicitous uh, people and, you know, people that govern us and so on can be. Uh, By the way, the, um, the Senate of Italy has just officially uh, recognized that the um, the clot shots are uh, experimental, untested on humans, and apparently um, people that took them without proper informed consent should be able to claim for damages if they have any. Um, so that's you know a positive. Whether anything comes of it or not, who knows. But anyway, that that's happened now. Um and getting back to the to the thing, I think in the last couple of years we've all been somewhat shocked at the level of um, duplicity and, and just the kind of world we live in is lies. You know it's it's filled with lies from top to bottom. Um again just let me know that the sound is okay if you can. Hello, Slanty Chaufer Bear. So in reading, And I've always been somewhat morbidly fascinated by Nazis and the whole World War II thing because as a young kid, as when I was seven in, um, in, our, in, in Italian school, each kid was given a, a country to do a project on and I got Germany. And of course, you can't do a project on Germany without, you know, bumping into the whole Nazi thing. And as a result of that, I then questioned my grandparents um, at some length about, you know, so you know, what was really going on? Were you guys like fascists? You know, how how did that all play out? And um, you know, there was just a lot of things that have never really um, made sense. But as a result of that I you know what, what I couldn't get my head around is like how does a whole country become you know like nazis how does a whole country just like want to put people in concentration camps and do like experiments on live human beings and you know all the, the weird stuff they you know horrific experiments they did on kids and twins and and you know the there were absolutely some horrific things that went on, there's no doubt about that. But I've just spent a couple of hours pretty much downloading, which are free, you can you can contribute something, send the man some money or whatever, he's like 84 now. Um, but I've just recently downloaded a bunch of David Aron's um, books, which are all pretty much available for free on PDF. I don't know when I'll ever get the chance to read them, but um, I plan to get around them. Now, the thing about David Irving is that, you know, he was obviously uh, slated in the media, as some kind of Holocaust denier and blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, if you read his books and if you read what he actually um, says and, and the, the research that he does, his, his historical research is pretty unassailable. In fact, even in the court cases that um, that went against him, if you go on YouTube, there's an interview he did with that, um, you know, scumbag journalist, Tim Sebastian, that they're all scum, so, and um, on Hard Talk, it was like, I think, done in 2012, but anyway, there's this Hard Talk interview with Tim Sebastian, interviewing David Irwin. and, um, you know, you can see that the, the journalist does his usual journalist thing, but, even the 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 the, the, wit- the ex- so-called expert witnesses, which were paid hundreds of thousands of pounds to like testify against him, they couldn't argue anything that David Irving said. Like one of the things, you know, about the gas chambers and that, which uh, those of you who don't know, the chimney at Auschwitz was built afterwards. It's not even connected to the main building. It's sort of like, and um, the judge basically said when when it came out that. There were no holes in the roof to like drop the um, the Zyklon B into the supposed gas chambers. They, um, the judge said, uh, Well, I believe eyewitnesses and I don't believe the roof because David Owen said, Look, we can all go there right now, go on the roof and check if there's, you know, scrape off whatever was there and see if there was ever any holes that you could drop the poison down. And they're not there; they don't exist. So you know, it, these are just lies. And the so-called eyewitnesses that said that they saw it—it's it's just nonsense. And um, and the judge said, "Well, I believe the eyewitnesses. I don't believe the roof," which is, you know. And, uh, and David Aaron said, "There are Englishmen who are like this." And, you know, it was just. But the thing is, David Aaron is one of the only guys, one of the only historians who actually went back. He's spent, I don't know how much time in, in like various archives in Germany, in, in England, in America, you know, going through the, the original records to like measure stuff and, and figure things out. And uh, it's just, they confiscated a bunch of his stuff. Um, but, you know, that no one can rebut what he actually talks about, what he says. And the reason i'm mentioning this is because the level of conditioning brainwashing whatever you want to call it that we've all been subjected to for you know since we were born about any number of topics I'm not just you know world or two or whatever is so persistent i mean some of it has always been obvious to me from when i was very young some of it i'm only now starting to realize Whoa, oh, that's a whole other. I mean, one of the, the best examples was the idea of money and a so called legal system related to money. Which, as a four year old, I kid you not, as a four year old, I used to think, man, this, this stuff doesn't make sense. So it must just be too complicated because I'm just a little kid. But I thought about it from time to time, you know, I pondered it when I was like four, five, six, seven, ten, twelve, in my twenties, in my teens. And recently, I attended a political um, rally, I suppose, for um, Italy Exit, which is uh, is the only party that wants to get Italy out out of the EU, and they want to go back to the lira, and they had this lawyer who discussed how constitutionally Italy is absolutely able to do that, if they want, without even getting rid of the euro, so they could run it in parallel at first. Um, and then they had this engineer who explained like the physical reality of you know printing and minting this, this uh, original lira again kind of like England has kept the pound and um, It was very eye-opening really quite interesting, but the thing is in learning about the stuff um, which I, I have been doing over the last 20 years you know, it's become patently obvious to me now, and I think back to my first thought. I, I still remember that thought. I was like my grandmother's garden thinking about it and I was like, Yeah, this stuff is doesn't seem to make sense to me. And I realize now that even as a four year old, I was more correct about what was wrong with the so called economic system than you know, than most people realize and it's not because I was a four-year-old that it was too complicated to understand. It's because even a four-year-old has some level of, of grasp of, ba- of the basics of economics and the basics of money and so on that makes it obvious that the current system that we have, which is essentially based on usury and so on, is untenable long-term. It is. A gigantic Ponzi scheme, and eventually it has to collapse, which of course ties into to the fact that all wars have been bankers' wars and so on. Stuff that I'm, I, I believe most of you that are on here now already know. But for me personally, the whole re-questioning of what, you know, what actually happened in World War One and World War Two is very interesting because I have an instinctive rejection of. Um, you know, anything to do with Nazism or Nazis or whatever. It's just like, they're the bad guys. You know, it's just, you can't reconcile them or what they did or whatever. And, um, you know, when you read about people like Mengele, but the thing is, above all, truth, you know, truth above all, that's always been my thing since forever. And it always will be like that. And I'm not sitting here thinking, oh, but maybe Hitler was a really good guy. I'm I'm not thinking that, and I'm not thinking, oh, the Nazis were really the good guys. But the thing is, there's um, a video I came across of uh, people that are, um, let me just get the name of it because it's in German. So this book was written by, um, uh, let me just get it, give me one second. So where are we? Personal. Uh-huh. Oh, sorry. I've got a i have got got the wrong I still have the wrong folder. Okay, to read it. Okay. okay, there we are. Otto Ernst Römer, who was a pretty high up Nazi guy, and I think he was the guy that was responsible for when von Steppen tried to assassinate uh, Hitler, he was the guy that stopped it and like, you know, as a result of him, a bunch of people got, There's a little bit of grabbling going on there on that stream, but anyway, I again, had no problems, <laughs> no problems until now, and now it's all popping and going on and off. But anyway, uh, let's see if it continues, otherwise I may just record this and then put it up later. Um, so this guy's book was about the causes of World War One, And he was, like I said, a pretty high-ranking Nazi officer, which um, he didn't actually, he got nuremberg and he did a few years in jail, but um, then he was released and um, apparently had quite an interesting life after that as well Uh, and I think he died in something like the 90s but um, the video that I came across was on odyssey and um, I don't know that I have the link for it. Let me just see if I do I'll, I'll post it on the Yeah, there we go in the chat here for those of you that are interested There you go. And you'll see that it's a very interesting uh, book written by you know a guy that was there who talks about the, the realities of what happened, why it happened, and so on and so forth. And it's, uh, it's very different from what we've been told. Okay, from 15, it's down to six. I don't know if uh, you guys can hear me or if there's stuff missing do let me know I know it's popped in and out a few times but hopefully you can all see it again now and hopefully having closed down the other things helps the stream a bit Um, so the actual causes of World War one turns out are probably very similar to like what happened with the Russian Revolution which also was by the usual suspects and more and more you look into this and the more and more you look around at what's happening today and you realize the level of deception that we've all been subjected to is beyond beyond anything that you can imagine um, I came across a website which I don't have it underhand so I won't post that link but it's something called like um, truth in history or or revisiting history, or something like that. And it's got all these articles by various people who try to produce, um, or who are supposed to produce documented, academic-type passages, and I read one on um, Mengele. Now Mengele, in my mind, is the epitome of evil, right? They call him the angel of death, and even as a kid, and I read about what this guy supposedly did, experiments on kids and twins, and like castrating them without and aesthetic and all you know all sorts of horrific, horrific shit. And I don't know, you know, after reading that other article and I saw an interview that they did with his son. So his son was, you know, obviously still alive in the 80s, 90s, whatever, even 2000s, I think. Changed his name, I believe, and went out to South America and found his dad because, you know, the Nazi right lines, as they call them, of all the, the, the guys that ran off to South America. They still had some contacts with people in Germany, whatever, with his mother somehow. Anyway, his son went to see him, went to find him, and he said he spent like I don't know a week or two with his dad, and his dad apparently was you know very glad to see him, just being Mengele, and um, and when his son would sort of say, but you know how could you do this stuff? How could you be involved in this sort of thing? Um, the son recounts how the dad, how Mengele was like. What the hell? How the fuck? Why do you believe this shit? You know, how could you possibly think I did any of those things? That's just bullshit and lies. And um, and his son apparently at one point said like, yeah, but it's a fact. And there are other people saying that you were always there when the trains arrived, to select people. And he's like, yeah, I was. Why the fuck do you think I was there? Because I was trying to save as many of them as possible. Now, you know, granted. If Bengler was who they say he was, and if he did the things that he did, I wouldn't put it past him to lie to his own son, like blatantly. Um, but the thing is, I was looking at his son, and you know, the, the, the face of this man—he was obviously a haunted by the whole situation. And um, when I spoke to a, a few Germans that I have met, that you know, that I asked them about this, I said, you know, well, what did they teach you guys about, like? Nazi Germany and he goes well they, they tried to make us ashamed of it. They tried to make us you know like feel bad about what happened even though we had nothing to do with it because we're like in our 20s now um and I'm, I'm just wondering you know I'm finding out that a lot of the Nuremberg confessions were done under torture there's just so many little inconsistencies and um you know it's again like like uh like Vox recently said if you read um main Kampf which i have not done i have it's just too big a thick a book and I've, I've never i think it's probably gonna bore the crap out of me which is why i've never been interested in reading it but i probably should one of the things that's put me off is that I've sort of read that it probably wasn't hitler that wrote it but like was ghost written or something i don't know if that's true or not now, if Hitler had written it, and, and there was you know very good evidence that he did, I would be probably more interested in reading it, just because I tried to understand what that guy's brain was like. But the thing is, if you listen to Hitler's speeches, and you have to, again, contextualize it for the era, the time that it was on, and so on, quite a lot of them are relatively sensible, given the situation they were in. Um, you know, they were all, the, the, the sort of bluster and propaganda that was going on at the time looks a little bit cringy to us, looks a little bit obvious to us, but that's because we are getting brainwashed by much more sophisticated propaganda. <laughs> you know, those were the beginnings. And um, and the thing is, you all, it, it's very difficult for us to put ourselves in what it was like to be in those times. So, in terms of documents, history, who knows what really was the truth but here are things that are factual that nobody can deny germany with their blitzkrieg and with their military might shall we say and their technology was leaps and bounds ahead of any other country in europe in terms of technology military um, maneuvering mini- military prowess shall we say and, and the technology that they, they, they came up with was out of this world, was literally ahead of anything else that anyone had. I mean, the stealth stuff they use on the American bombers today came from the stealth uh, stuff that the, 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 the Nazi submarines had. Um, I am fully, I absolutely believe that they, they, they did build anti-gravity devices I do think that they probably had bases in Antarctica, and they, they had plenty of bases everywhere else. I mean, they're like underground submarine bases like hidden in the islands, in uh, the Spanish islands, in the Canary Islands, in, in all over South America, I think even Australia, possibly New Zealand. So they had bolt holes, shall we call them, all over the place. This they did. Um, they spent a huge amount of money, like millions, Investigate uh, weird things like the occult in Tibet and you know in the Himalayas and all sorts of stuff. But the th- fact is that their technology was leaps and bounds. They invented the jet engines. I mean, they, they, they were really you know the first jets were at the end of the Second World War and they were German. And if they'd had a little bit more time to build more of them, they probably would have kicked everybody's ass. And how did they do this? And it's becoming Increasingly obvious that they managed to do this by expelling certain people from their country, going to the Reichsmarks, which were not, as far as I understand it, I, I'm speaking on the correction. I might be wrong on this, but as the what little I've looked into it, or in Passan, was that their their monetary system was not based on um, on debt and you know a lot has been made of oh well the whole of the nazi german um, production stuff was untenable because it would the the nazi economy was based on slave labor and the thing is if you do the numbers that doesn't doesn't add up again how many slaves can you have and what can they you know How much stuff can they actually build? What what were the slaves being used for? What was going on in those concentration camps? Auschwitz used more electrical power than Berlin every day. And it was supposed to be a rubber plant. It didn't produce a single kilo of rubber. It wasn't a rubber plant. It was a uranium enrichment um, facility. That's what I absolutely believe. The Germans built the atom bomb first. There are sworn affidavits by Italian military observers of high rank, Um, German pilots that were, um, I think, captured and, and gave evidence of it. The first atom bomb was set off in 1944 by the Germans on a little island, and it knocked out all the power in Berlin. It basically created an EMP. There was just technological advances they had, which I believe what is a result of their economy being freed of certain uh, sort of usury elements or, or elements of, of economy that don't work, and the people of Germany being all united in a sort of new, hey, we're gonna rebuild the world in our image sort of thing, um, which is of course very dangerous and, and uh, has a lot of negatives that go with it, but. As an initial impetus i think it managed to produce people that were all one people and you know a country like italy is, is brilliant for for demonstrating that because we were never one people we're 21 different regions and it still is to a certain extent that way that's why you know i was recently asked and a friend asked oh but uh what do you think you know this, this recent thing that the, the, the Senate of Italy said, well, you know, the, the vaccines were not like ever tested or whatever, like people can have claims for damages or whatever. So well, do you think there's dissension in the ranks about, you know, how of, at a higher level? I'm like, it's Italy. Dissension is guaranteed. It doesn't matter what you try to do in this country. You're going to have 50 different factions trying to argue against you, go against you, You know, for every supporter you have, you're gonna have three detractors. It doesn't matter whether you're good, bad, or indifferent. It's just, that's just how it is. And in that chaos, you know, I think our national motto should be in chaos opportunity, because the smart guys in that chaos can figure out some way to to do stuff. Um, Not necessarily always the good guys, you know, smart doesn't necessarily mean good. But um, the point is, if you get a people, if you get ten men who are just of one mind and will work hard to do achieve one thing, you you will you will achieve an untold amount of, of uh, success. You know, the whole point of the Kurganet is I've got little supporters here and there. I get guys to come in and help me now and then, and they're committed. They're absolutely committed. But just geographically, they're not necessarily here all the time. And th- there are people that are coming here, there are people that are here all the time, but it's, you know, we're still very new, still very fragmented. But if, you know, if you get 15 people geographically next to each other, all convinced that they're gonna act in a certain way to achieve certain aims, no, it's it's almost impossible to stop them. And if you get a whole nation doing that, well, you know, and I think that's what Germany did that's what they would achieved um which is why uh, people like churchill basically they said it they said we've got to destroy germany because their um level of um i don't know how to call it of efficiency shall we say is just you know it's gonna crush us so we, we need to take them out um and you know there's like 18 of you or whatever so do fire off questions or comments or whatever. Because the the thing that I'm struggling with is like, I've had this idea of like, just how evil the Nazis were the whole time. And then like, you know, the book burnings of the Nazis, that's like a horrific crime, burning books. You know, it's like sacrilege. But then you find out what books were they burning. You know, they were burning the books that are like complete degeneracy that, uh, you know, all the stuff that's going on now in clown world is pretty much what was going on then for them as well. And they just sort of said, "No, we've had enough of this crap." Um, so it's it's interesting, and I'm, I'm I'm sort of starting to think. You know, we we've all been subjected to the fact that as the minute you see a swastika or a Nazi uniform, it is it is essentially become a symbol of evil. You know, it's it's not denying that, and and pretty much not just evil, but also stupidity, because the, the only people that will openly display like Nazi flags and whatever, are, you know, they, they generally, the neo-Nazis are pretty much a retarded bunch. So, these associations have been made, and yet, you can't tell me that the people who invented the V2 rocket, who essentially built the Apollo space program, who had anti-gravity devices, uh, who, even after they supposedly lost the war, which they never officially um, surrendered, still had a country-sized place in Argentina where they carried on doing their stuff in near a place called Carlos de Bariloche, uh, where they had thousands of companies funded by the gold that they took out of Germany and flew into Argentina, There's a bunch of flights that happened. Argentina didn't join the war until like the last couple of weeks of the end of the war. And then they just flew a bunch of huge planes to Germany, picked up a bunch of stuff and fucked up back to Argentina. It's just like, um, wait, what was on those planes? You know? And then if you look at this, literally thousands of companies that were opened by Germans and essentially the Nazis continued their war by other means. And they they started saying, well, okay, we lost them militarily, but we're going to, you know, fuck you guys up from an economic point of view or we're going to, like, come back and and do it somehow. Um, And now I look at the WEF and, you know, Klaus Schwab, who's uh, married into the Rothschilds. And it's, you know, they say, History is cyclical. It doesn't actually repeat, but it sort of resonates. And um, it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm amused and interested at myself at how pernicious and how difficult it seems to be to just take a, a fresh look at the whole history of, of, uh, of the Second World War and of the First World War because you know the Second World War is really just a continuation of the first. And the idea that you know, I think there was a book or a film as well made like the good Nazi. There was there was such a title. I've never read it. I haven't seen the film. I don't know what it's about. But just the thought, even those words put together, the good Nazi, just sort sort of rubs you the wrong way, right? A little bit. And yet there must have been, there must have been at least one, you know, or a few good Nazis. There were like Nazis in the Nazi Party, but they weren't necessarily bad people. Um, you know that that is a statistical fact. It must be. And again, this book that I'm reading by Leon, I forgot his name. Um, you know, who was in the Waffen SS. I mean, the Waffen SS is the epitome of evil. Now, like I said, I haven't finished the book yet, so maybe it turns out to be a real evil bastard. But just on the basis of, you know, his explanation of how he came to be in that situation, it it's logical. It makes sense. And again, as as Buck said, if you read Mein Kampf, it's it's logical. It makes sense. There's you can actually sort of see why people would like follow this guy. Um, so I downloaded all these David Irving books because I I know that that guy, from a historical perspective, he was um, kind of autistic about just putting the facts down as they are, whether they good, bad, or indifferent. You know. Um, So Wooly Ram says, you know, I've heard a similar sentiment about Intel, that it seems like they were given technology way ahead of the curve. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, IBM was, was uh, originally a Nazi, one of the Nazi-founded companies, but plenty of them were. You know, there was, I don't know about Intel, but IBM definitely was. So, you know, alien technology... The funny thing is that some of that anti-gravity stuff did come from seances, which would seem to imply either demons or aliens, one of the two or both, or whatever. Um, and yet, you know, the technology exists, and you can use it for good or evil, like like most technologies. So, hello, Roman. Romans 12.2. Oh, pardon me, it's a bit late here. Honda Bear. Hello, the fella. What percentage of the whole German armed forces were Nazis? I don't know. Um, There were different groups. There was the Waffen-SS, which were the sort of sworn bodyguard of Hitler. Then there was the the Nazi-SS, which were, you know, the the guys in the black uniform. And then there was the Wehrmacht. The Wehrmacht was just the German army. Um, And then, of course, there were other, you know, police groups and sort of the, the Stasi and so on, the Gestapo and all that. But they were sort of more internal, um, secret service type guys, I guess. Um, in the in the, the the military machine was composed of the Waffen SS, which was closest to Hitler, the Nazis, which were like the second ring around him, and then the Wehrmacht. And quite a lot of the officers in the Wehrmacht didn't like the Nazis, didn't get on with them at all, um, or the Waffen SS. And and you know there was a lot of crazy hinky stuff going on. I mean. Um, Himmler was a full-on occultist. Like they had a castle with like blood rituals and all sorts of things. And like the Knights of the Round Table, they they spent millions looking for the Holy Grail because um, you know there's old Germanic poems about the Holy Grail and so on. And uh, and they've, they've got a lot of um, what you call it, hidden. Sort of, you know, most old poems and whatever they've got like an old sort of h- hidden symbolism in it that means something and so on. Um, let's see, Honda Bear says just got here, but as an American, I would say we would have been far better off had we not fought at all in either world war. Well, obviously, I mean, you guys are just chilling out on the other side of the world and uh, you could have just. Watched it all burn and just build your country, make it go bigger and better and and faster. However, you couldn't because, like today, you're run by the same people today that you were run back then. And and America is the first Freemasonic country founded on Freemasonic principle by Freemasons for Freemasonic purposes. And Freemasons are Satanists. So they were never going to keep you out of it because it was profitable uh, to, to get thrown into it. So... Willy Rams says a new bear. <laughs> Joe C says there's so much that doesn't add up from the standard historical telling. The treatment Rudolf Hess after the war is telling. Exactly. That's exactly actually that's a brilliant point. One of the books that I um, that I downloaded was Rudolf Hess the, the Untold Years or whatever. I mean Rudolf Hess spent the rest of his life in prison 47 years. He came to Scotland unarmed with a picture of his four-year-old son, and then he was kept in jail. He only saw his son 25 years later, I think on a visit probably. And the last 22 years of that 47 years of jail were spent in solitary confinement. I mean, this guy basically got caught at the beginning of the war. He couldn't have committed a huge bunch of atrocities, quite frankly. I mean, what kind of... You know, in inhuman sort of punishment is that to just keep him sequestered away, barred from saying anything to anybody, like in solitary confinement for twenty two years. I mean, that that is a mental torture that I. I just put a bullet in the guy's head, whatever. You know, um, he of ov- they obviously didn't want him to say to speak to say anything because why, you know. That's the whole point. You, you know how you know you're being lied to? When there's secrecy around it. I was approached by the Rosicrucians to join them, and you know, it's so sort of like I didn't know anything. I wasn't, you know, I've never, but you know, I did tell you that as a hobby, I, I used to go to all these weird cults and just check out how they try and brainwash people. And the Rosicrucian things are like, oh, well, you know, there's like secret ways that we can teach you like magic stuff. But look, I'll tell you a little bit about it. Just, you know, I'm not supposed to tell you this stuff. But look, if you do this with a, a pot and a needle, you can magnetize the needle with your mind and you can do this and the other. And I'm like, uh-huh. Oh, but it has to be. I said, well, why does it have to be secret? you like, oh, because you know what? People might persecute this. I'm like, dude, we're in South Africa. That's one of the most restrictive countries on the planet as of today. And I say whatever the fuck I want to, whoever I want, I couldn't care less. I don't give a shit about the laws or apartheid laws or whatever. Nobody's ever bugged me on. So what are you guys going to do? That's so secretive. Secret means lies. Okay, we're not yet at the point where they're going to hunt Christians down into the catacombs. We might get there. I think it's very likely that we'll probably get there soon enough. But we're not there yet. So there's really no reason to hide your secret organization. It's just like, what the fuck? Um, Admittedly, when you're fighting a very powerful, evil enemy that lies all the time, you might not want to give the game away and tell them what you're doing right away. But what I mean is, if you've got to have secrets between your own members of your own organization, eh, you know. Something's not good there. Honda says i been around Woolly Ram, just a lurker. Oh yes. Well, speak up. Um, Jean D'Ortal says, didn't Otto Skorzeny, SS Super Commando, end up working for the Mossad? Apparently, they thought he was a good Nazi. <laughs> ah man, that the stuff. The involvement of Israel in the whole Second World War and how Israel came about and who was involved in it, that's another huge can of worms that is just... Um, If you're interested in the economies of the stuff, you should read um, Anthony Sutton, who wrote Hitler and Wall Street, three little books which I've read. And no one has ever been able to deny any of the things that Anthony Sutton has said about who financed, how it was financed, uh, the, you know, the war. And um, it's very, very interesting. Woody Ram says, as far as the Nazis being stupid, why did the Western powers literally carve up their scientists among them? Exactly. You know, exactly. You know, some of the the the, the, the Nazi scientists went to, you know, paper Project Paperclip took 3,000 Nazi scientists over to America and just like, okay, it doesn't matter what you guys did, you know, we just want all your stuff. <laughs> and the other guys that the Americans didn't get, the Soviets got. So they split up between them. Cordell says, I still need to send you some of the maple syrup I made if you'd like some. How are your olive trees going? Eh, My olive trees are actually, they've got all the little buds are starting to come out and it's like, fucking thousands of them, it looks like a bumper year, but you know, unfortunately I've only been able to have about 60 of them pruned, and I'm slowly labeling them all with a little metal tag which I'm etching the numbers into. Um, I've done about 90 tags, but I've only like, um, attached about 45 of them to the trees because it's a pretty painful job. Uh, TVCL, I need to do a link for TVCL. If I can see that the video is choppy, then I'm assuming that you're not getting much. But, okay, I'm back again. Okay, maybe that's what was ignore. Oh, possibly that was giving me a problem. It might, it might be better now. I had uh, I had a program open that I think was using up a lot of stuff. Uh, so, yeah, Bulli says, if you're feeling very inquisitive, look into the ties between the Nazi party and the various anti-British pre-IDF militias. Yeah. And TVCL, I was just saying, like, please put the link to your video and book and whatever in, in the chat, because I keep forgetting to do it and I can't access it now because I'd have to, like, try and type it out by hand, which is going to take too long. Tibisial says there's a book called The German Genius, which makes the case that Germany was ahead of the curve by the 19th century for everything from science and philosophy to art and music. Well, it's I think it's a very it's it's a very defensible argument. I um, you know before I knew anything about anything, I've always quite enjoyed Wagner's music. Um, I'm not partial to the to the German architecture that I've seen, but then perhaps I haven't seen it in context. Um, it just seems a little bit too Germanic and cold to, to my tastes. I quite like um, Italian architecture, the more um, you know, Renaissance huge churches and uh, the stuff in Venice. I mean, if you compare Venice with Germanic architecture, they're like worlds apart. Venice is typically, well, Venetian, I guess. Uh, it's it's chaos in a bubble, but it's beautiful. It's it's the most beautiful city on the planet, bar none. And I don't, I'll, I'll argue that one till I'm blue in the face with anybody. Uh, the The Nazi architecture, the German architecture, is um, clinical, sort of imperial, quite um, vast. You know you. I suppose if you were going to feel proud of Germanic architecture of the Nazi era, you'd be sort of like, ha, I am the super race, you know. Well, if you're a Venetian, you know you're superior. You don't have to show off about it because, well, look look what we did, you know. Yeah, yeah, we did that. Oh, and we conquered this. Oh, and we've been all over the world. And we don't need to take over the world because the way we do it, like, other ways is, yeah, (laughs) you know. So it's a very different approach, almost, I would say, diametrically opposed, certainly. But, um, yeah, philosophy, art, music, again, same thing. Depends on your philosophy, art, and your music. What I think the Germanic tribes, like all Anglo-Saxon, Teutonic races, they lack the, the human element. They lack the humanity of it. They're very good at mechanizing things. They're very good at organizing things. They're very good at making it disciplined and clean lines. They're not good at making it good and comfortable and sexy for human beings. Uh, you know, you take the best example of a motorcycle, motorbike built by the Germans or built by the, uh, the Americans or or the English, and you put it next to a Ducati, and it's like, pooh. The same thing with clothes. The same thing with uh, a lot of things. You know, like the the the, the Italian element. Considers the human thing, and it's not just the Italians. I think it's a Catholic thing. Catholicism considers the individual. The individual is the key, um, which then you know works in in society as as, as it should. But in Teutonic races, the indiv- you know, there I wouldn't say there's bad about it as the, the Asian races, as the Japanese or the Chinese, were like you know they end up being almost like human ants because everything is like oh we all The individual doesn't exist. You have to do things correctly. While, you know, the Catholics are like, no, we have to do things correctly, but everybody's free to do it in their own little way, you know? And that creates a a spice of life, a a, a difference, a, a uniqueness that you don't have in the other things, which is why the Italians are world leaders in things like fashion and, architecture and stuff like that because we've got imagination that no other race has to that extent you know they you get the crazy italian that'll come up with some absurd idea but then you make it work and that's what the rest of the world doesn't have especially the teutonic races they they don't have that and even more so the the asian sort of races they don't have uh he could only write letters to family, I believe, uh, Rudolf Hess. I, I don't know, I haven't read up on him enough, but yeah, secrecy is not for Catholics. Well, you know, depends on, on the situation. I mean, in, in certain warlike situations, then it would be silly to, to give the game away, but yeah, generally I agree with you. Beer says, not going to lie, I'm not really a fan of Israel. Um, I don't think even the Israelis are a fan of Israel. I used to work with this Jewish guy who says, you know what the quickest way to become a millionaire in Israel is? No, the the quickest way to make a million dollars in Israel is? Like what? Go there with three million. (laughs) So, you know, it's basically saying the other Israelis will rip you off. Willie Ram says, stream frozen for anyone else. It gets frozen and unfrozen. Um, It's it's had a little, you know, it comes and goes. Yeah, just refresh it and it comes back. TV Shell says, it was just that thing about logic. Uh, Yeah, okay, mate, just bang the link in there because I don't have access to it right now, Um, so. Romans 12.2 says, I'm Sicilian and Napolitan. I am sorry. (laughs) Well, you're in America, so that's even worse. (laughs) the bear Ducatis are nice but as you can probably guess I'll argue that the jet bikes are better I'll argue that too Um, and I've seen some pretty funky cool Japanese motorbikes Uh, I actually went to a car show in Japan in the early 90s when I was there for the karate team that we went with but um, you know, the Japanese like will refine one thing, like, you know, the katana. Okay, they've made the best swords. Then they focus on, okay, we make the most efficient cars, Toyotas. Okay, fine. But they don't look the best. And then they, they're sort of like, okay, we'll make the coolest, weirdest looking motorbikes. And they kind of get that. But, you know, the Italians will make the coolest, weirdest thing from like door handles to, you know, gargoyles on a church to, your motorbikes, your cars, your clothes, your typewriter, you know, there's going to be some weird little rifles, shotguns, handguns, you name it. Some Italian has built some weird thing that the rest of the world loves. You don't get that with other countries. They might focus on something, you know, get one or two things right, but yeah. Yeah, fellas, says Italian knives are pretty sweet as well. I haven't even looked at that, but I believe you because I can tell there's going to be a level of craftsmanship and individuality that you just everything else is just rubber stamped, you know, sort of thing. Only around the Japanese do still have a sense of aesthetics, even degraded as they're currently, hopefully temporarily. Ferrari's art and wheels. Yeah, the the Japanese have, um, by the way, a culture and an aesthetic which I like very much. I um, Let's say if the ideal mix for me is, is a little is a mix of probably two-thirds Italian and one-third Japanese. That's about my aesthetic look would be the ideal aesthetic look for me would be that. I like spacious areas that are pretty clean, but at the same time, you know if, even if you look just behind me, this is a tiny little home office. So it's a bit too cramped. You can see there's like a light there. There's like boxes still. I, there's just no space to put everything that I need to have in here. Nowhere near. I mean, I need a room about 10 times this to like begin to begin to be able to lay it out the way I want. But, um, you know, again, it's pretty clean lines in that you've got my typewriters at the back. There's photographs of my grandparents on the wall. The Oxford Encyclopedia, now the Oxford um, English Dictionary there, and some reference books, and you know I've got like a little display type cupboard there, which doubles as a writing desk sometimes. And again, all of this stuff is kind of very human touch type thing. But ideally, I would have this in a room that's like three times the size of this. I'd still only have the same amount of things in it, just spread out a bit more. So yeah, I I appreciate the Japanese aesthetic a lot. Um, And that's because they have their own culture, their own way of doing things. But you know, the thing about the Japanese is if you go to one Japanese garden and another Japanese garden, they will be different. But the way that they get that garden to look the way they do is always the same. In other words, they rake the stones in a certain way. Make the bonsai trees in a certain way. While in Italian, you know, Italians couldn't invent bonsai trees because there's like 50,000 different types of bonsai trees if you're in Italy. Because if one guy decides to make, I'm going to make a small tree, and he comes up with that, the next guy is going to say, Oh, I'm going to make a small tree too, but not as small as his. Well, you know, halfway size, so I can still eat the cherries. You know, they'll come up, they'll just screw it up. and there'll be like 20 abortive issues and then there'll be like one that's like the Japanese will go like how did you get that (laughs) you know it's weird but true on the bear says carry my beretta every day pick up to the Italians for that one which beretta is that the 92 or the uh, px4 which one have you got just curious you know gun talk is always appropriate TVCL I thought I would posted the link but turns out you can't post YouTube links in chat. Your usual suspects. Anyway, if anyone's interested, I've got a video on logic on my channel. It could be useful for people. Okay. Wooly Ram says I'm not much for art, but rustic Italian cooking and wines are a weakness. Oh, but have you been to Italy, my friend? Because if I take you to the Doge's Palace, I'm not. I thought I wasn't one much for art until I walked into some of the churches in Venice, the the one of the, um, of the Franciscan monks, the the, the the Franciscan church in particular, but really any church in Italy that's you know a decent one. Um, yeah, and paintings. The paintings are just how did they do that stuff? Uh, TVCL says, yeah, Honda Bear says at TVCL spell out dot instead of using an actual dot. Cordell Mitchell says, I think the Japanese would be high elves if they were a mythological race. (laughs) 92FS. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very functional gun as far as I know. The Japanese have made mud balls into an art form. The Japanese have done great things. Like One of the things I really like about them is like, you know when you break a cup or something and they refix it with like gold so they make the, the broken bit, they make that the cool bit because it's got the gold in it. And it's, um, I mean if you think about it, that is a kind of a Catholic sort of philosophy almost because what they're saying is like, everything has flaws, but we make the flaw become your strength, you know, with objects, right? But the thing is they have that philosophy in, in their martial arts as well. The whole point of, of karate is they break you down as a human being and then they rebuild you. And what was your weakness becomes your unique little talent to a certain extent, you know. So um, they, they well, like, like one of my Sistema instructors told me, like any real martial system has to have A philosophical spiritual component to it because otherwise you will not be able to continue will not be able to be a rational human being if you don't have a spiritual component to balance the brutality of the physical reality that that you have to deal with so Joe says so glad I got to experience Notre Dame before it burned Um, there's a crushing loss yeah I went to Notre Dame as well I went to the roof when I was 16 I think there was a bunch of graffiti on it, which I was like disgusted by, you know, even at 16, I was a pretty, um, dictatorial sort of like people who do graffiti should just be lined up and shot. That's, that's what I said to one of, when we were in Japan and it's like, there's no graffiti on their like tube system, you know, their, their metro system. And I was like, yeah. And, and one of the karate instructors was saying, Oh, look at this. I don't know how clean it is. You know, it's not like the rest of the world where, Have graffiti all over, like, you know, their um, trains and whatever. And I was just standing, and he goes, "Yeah, people who do that should just be lined up against the wall and shot." And he goes, "What? You know, people who do graffiti?" Because wait, are you saying that people who do graffiti should just be lined up against the wall and shot? Said, "Yeah, if you just did a few of them, you know, did enough of them, the rest would stop." And he looked at me (laughs) for a bit silently, and then he goes. Your politics are slightly to the right of Genghis Khan's, aren't they? <laughs> and I was like, I don't have politics, you know, <laughs> I'm just a simple guy. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, both Honda Bear and Josie saw Notre Dame in 08. Uh, yeah, I saw it a lot earlier than that. Um, I'm trying to think when it was. I think it was like late 80s. TVCL in the Chinese or Japanese, if the Chinese or Japanese become fully Catholic, they would be awesome. Yeah, especially the Japanese. Mind you, there's some pretty hardcore Catholic Chinese people. There's about 60 million of them, uh, nominal Catholics, which of course Bergoglio totally betrayed and sold out to the tune of 2 billion dollars um, or euro, whatever it is, a year from China. Graffiti is a measure of social decline. Yeah, I've always hated them. Even as a kid, I've always, always hated Graffiti. It's just, like, how can you be such an uncivilized scumbag? The Japanese were on the way to becoming Catholic. Then an Englishman convinced the Shogun to ban Catholicism. Oh, I didn't know that story. I know that the Catholics were getting crucified. Look, man, Genghis Khan was right about a lot. Let's be honest. (laughs) That was (laughs) really Yeah, he was. I mean, like when he he surrounded cities and he was like, well, if you guys just surrender, you know, we'll treat you pretty decent and, you know, we'll just take what we want, but we won't kill you men, women, and children. But if you resist, we will kill every single one of you. And if they resisted, he did. Guess what? The other cities just used to surrender when you surrounded them. It works. You know, you shoot the first ten smokers, the rest just quit. <laughs> Murals are almost as bad as graffiti. I agree. Uh, guys, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna have to excuse. I think I might have to go check on the little man. I don't know if I'm coming back right away or not. So, um, give me a sec. Alright. Uh, okay. And of course, I'm in my underpants, as I'm sure you've all checked. uh where we're worried. That was hilarious. okay. Night Kurgan, thanks for the stream. If not, oh well, I'm back. How's early summer treating you all? Well, early summer's pretty hot here. And I'm still not um, back to my full fitness but I'm getting there not not far off now got the koof how about you will ram on the bear oh by the way if you've got the koof take a lot of vitamin C D and uh, zinc and the other thing is um, make sure you rest don't like to Got the cough, but even so, it's not terrible. Either way, I pray you get well soon. Don't forget your vitamins and zinc. Yeah, exactly. Sam, where up and in a reasonable time for a stream this time? What do you mean? I always do it around this time. I think. Oh wait, no, it's really late here actually. Yeah, it's like what? It's already like one in the morning. I think. What? Yeah, it's one in the morning for me. Yep, hitting C, D, zinc, magnesium, and CoQ10. That's right. Very good. You're doing the right thing. You'll be fine. Cordell says, "Have you gotten a chance to give Vox a long, drawn-out bear hug?" As <laughs> we all know that he loves so much. No, not yet. I and I probably won't for a little while. Um, but yeah, I've. Um, you know, I, I do plan at some point to go see him in his deep, dark, evil castle of Nazism or whatever. He's actually got a mirror in there from uh, Mussolini, I believe. So um, I definitely plan to, <laughs> to comb my hair while I look in that mirror. <laughs> yeah, Woody Ramses says, and KM3 to help the D absorb properly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, well, boys and girls, just like a stunned buffalo that's been shot by the 460, as I told you that story in the last stream. Realizing it's 1 a.m., and that usually my little dude gets up at like 6. Um, uh, Sam says you started at about 7.30 a.m. in the U.S. Midwest last time. Look, it's not my fault if you people don't live in the right place of the planet, right? Fella says 92FS seems pretty chunky to EDC. No, no, I don't think so. I carried a 357 GP10, GP100 for years as my working gun. So, Honda this, is, I get my D from Sunlight mostly. Okay, good. How long until Vox's new chew toy gives up the ghost? Ah, uh, who knows? I'm <laughs> You know, the the thing about these guys and this sort of, you know, media-like storm, it's like, so what? You know, if it's not like they can fire him. You know, it's not like he's suddenly not going to earn money. (laughs) It's his own business. It's his own thing. So (laughs) it's not like they can really affect him other than just slander him which, you know, might be irritating or he might just... Knowing Vox, he's probably very philosophical about it and going like, hey, this could be an opportunity to, like, get some money out of them and punish them. (laughs) You know, that that I'm telling you is is how he's looking at it. He's not, like, sitting there going, oh, my God, they're saying horrible things about me. (laughs) He doesn't give a crap. Plus, he's been dealing with that sort of thing for, like, I think almost two decades, so he's not, you know... Uh Honda Bear says fella, not bad at open carry. Oh you are a bear, I suppose. I don't like open carry. Open carry is a bad, bad thing. Uh fella says he just picked up a ticket today. Yeah, apparently they're really good. Um tickets. A friend of mine is looking at getting some kind of rifle and he was looking at those. Apparently Vox used to regularly get death threats. Yeah, I did. Um, I think he probably still does. But, you know. Uh, look, you know what most people don't appreciate. And, you know, a lot of the stuff. I'm not going to go into any detail. But, like, people that have done a few things or been around a little bit they've had to deal with a lot more than just, like, a nasty email, <laughs> you know. Um, I've had, uh, I've actually had people come to my house trying to kill me with, like, a shotgun and a handgun um, back when I was working in South Africa. So, and I still don't even really know what that was about, you know. <laughs> I was just like, eh. You know, so, whoosh. Reading some crap that some guy wrote about you was just filled with lies, it can be irritating, you know. It can be like, huh. mostly because they lie, you know. It's it's like, at least get things right, you know what I mean? Titi Salad says, Hi, Kurgan, I hope you've been well. How do you feel about your fellow Italian stallion, Vox? They actually living in Switzerland. Uh, well, uh, as you may know, I've known him for number of years so I was always very aware of where he lived been to his house a number of times but um, yeah it is it is what it is got no feelings one way or the other about it. but I know that you're from the um, the gamma hive which reminds me actually the gamma in chief and I are supposed to do what I'm supposed to do he had agreed to do a um, Catholic intervention you know, see if you can make making become a proper Catholic instead of a nominal one. Uh, oh wait, I missed a couple of comments here. Oh yeah, Woolly says, which is why I refer to them as Chew Toy. Yeah, they are. He probably still does. Honestly, Gammas can be fucking great. Honda Bear says, I mean, rural America is probably a little bit different than what you're used to, kurgan Yeah, I, you know, fair enough. You know, you're probably, if you're living on a ranch in the middle of, like, I don't know, some Appalachian nowhere, and you just strap your six-gun to your leg, okay, I, I, can, I can deal with that. But if you're living in a city and you're, like, open carry, I think that's just, so, yeah, you, you may be right. Rick Farwell says, Le- Leon de Gryll is a good source on the Waffen-SS and his experiences. Yeah, Leon de Gryll is the book that I'm reading. I forgot the title, but that's the guy. That's the guy who wrote the book. It's a very interesting, very interesting book. And Mark Michael Maxxis says he bought a castle. Yeah, I've known that for a while as well. Anyway, um, I think once again um uh, It is pretty late for me, so it has just gone one o'clock. Tell you what, I'll give you guys another five minutes or so if you've got any comments, questions about the topic of this evening. Fire away. But yeah, I think in about a minute or so I'm going to call it a night. Okay, I think that might be it. And it looks like it's hanging up again. So, Alright, well, thank you all for being here. And uh, I hope you all have a good week. I'm having a pretty decent one.